Welcome back to the Y Hawks. We're periodically wondering how the Panthers and Flyers got into a Freaky Friday body swap accident podcast. Yeah, Flyers, Flyers reset edition. Flyers reset edition. We are doing this because the Flyers fired Elaine Vigneault, and it's very obvious that soon Chuck Fletcher will go. Uh, but there's um, a lot of other firings. Future, future Montreal Canadiens head coaching or assistant coaching candidate um, Elaine Vigneault. Yep, <laughs> right. you got it exactly right. Uh, but I also think that it's time we talk about what happened to Montreal and Vancouver, and eventually we'll get to the Panthers. There are some topics that we want to talk about, but it's one of those rare shows where we don't start with them. Uh, the Panthers I, are kind of on um, They're just doing autopilot what they do. for they're us. kind of boring you know? at this point because, well, yes, they're going yeah. to come back from a three-goal deficit after having a bad start. That's just what they do at this point. Uh, I also want to say, firstly, please listen to our shows from last week if you didn't do so. Uh, Jack Hahn interviewed him about tactics. There's some incredible stuff from him. And subscribe to his newsletter at Substack if you haven't done that already. Uh, truly great to talk to him. If you had a chance to pick his brain, do it, because we don't have enough talk about hockey tactics, and I've learned a lot from him. And then, speaking of learning a lot, goaltending. Uh, Kevin is in goal. Uh, Kevin Woodley uh, from Ingoal Magazine, NHL.com. Good thing we got him before the Canucks fired everybody, which is good. <laughs> um, but he talked about goaltending. I know Sergei Bobrovsky had some struggles after I recorded that, but I promise you it is worth listening to it. He's got a lot of interesting stuff on him, Spencer Knight, Flyers, goaltending, goaltending in the league in general, which is actually a lot better this year than it's been. Like the best goaltending we've seen in terms of like the save percentage uptick in like 20 years, which is insane. He talks about why that happens, you know, and also I think that the sensation that I have, especially when we think about the Flyers, I mean, not necessarily the last couple nights, but in general, like, these teams are not being sunk by bad goaltending. They're actually getting somewhat decent goaltending, and they're still losing, which is very different to what we see in uh, recent years. I mean, yeah, there are teams that have bad goaltending, obviously, Buffalo. But more often than not now this year, the bad team is having goaltending success, which is odd. But there right. you go. Please listen to those two shows, and they're evergreen, so you can listen to them whenever you want, and you'll well definitely done. enjoy that. Well done with those, with those episodes. Thank you for that. When we get a chance to interview people like that, you just want to get smarter. You just want to learn. And I think that those two, I've wanted to have them on the show for a while and to get a chance to talk to them. By the way, I promise you I will follow up with Kevin when the Panthers make their trip to Vancouver later in the year because he'll probably talk to Rob Tallis about some of the things that they've been doing and definitely want to bring that to all of you because I'm curious too. So please listen to those two shows. I'll keep posting links and what have you. And I'm also going to have something... By the time you listen to this, hopefully, on the Y Hockey Substack about the main topic today, which is firings and also how these teams are kind of now forced to think in a new direction because we've kind of gone through the retreads, particularly with GM, but a little bit with coaches, too. And I, I will start with the Flyers because, yeah, it was inevitable what was going to happen. And to watch a team that had, I think it was four, three days off, get pasted by a team that was on a back-to-back five games in eight days without two of its stars and giving up seven goals, it was inevitable. I mean, you're watching that on Twitter unfold, and you're going, yeah, there's no way he's surviving this. This, this is over. And it's so funny because you can tell in some ways, like, what teams are bad when you play Florida at this point because they've reached a stage in their evolution as a team where – you know, they're going to beat the crap out of you no matter what in all likelihood, but you can tell who's a good team and who's not by how they beat the crap out of somebody. Uh, St. Louis last <laughs> Saturday, for instance, they beat the crap out of them, but the Blues still punched back, and it never felt like they were, oh, my God, they're going to get destroyed here. The Panthers had, like, 50 shots, but it never felt like the Blues were totally underwater. 
The Flyers, on the other hand, right before Thanksgiving, Martin Jones saved their skins, but it felt that many times in that game, like, do the Flyers even have the puck? And you look at their numbers and you're like, oh my God, and they're getting good goaltending? This cannot be salvaged. Didn't look that great against Colorado last night either. And when they had the uh, dead cat bounce from, you know, Yo taking over and, and everybody trying to prove themselves. And, you know, Giroux again uh, has stepped up this year. So uh, his shoulders definitely need some help. Uh, it's, yeah. And just like I think with Vancouver, I mean, they're both, I, I guess, accidents. You, you saw miles down the road, it, you know. And it's you just wish you could have like jumped into the cockpit of those cars and steered them away or at least got it over with earlier, you know, because, you know, now you're even further down a a road um, committed in in the wrong direction. Yeah. And I I will start with the Flyers. We'll get to Vancouver and Montreal. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Vancouver, Montreal, whatever. What's what really is interesting about the Flyers is like like, what I mean, they body swapped with the Panthers. I do mean that because they are a team that is now the 86 point regular season team that the Panthers were. They're never bad enough to be in that realm of, you know, getting that top pick in the draft, getting Shane Wright. Maybe they will be next year. Who knows? But that was the biggest problem with so many teams stuck in the middle for so long and yeah you that's not a place you want to be because at least if you're terrible you're going to get the high draft pick and the flyers are not i mean they'll they'll win games down the stretch they're not going to be ottawa or arizona level bad so and that's not good when you're a team at this point that i think has to admit to itself that it needs to probably start rebuilding or at least trying something different I agree with that, but I'm not so sure that they switched bodies so much with with Florida. I mean, other than just being embarrassingly bad, but I mean, Florida has, you know, made bread off of their, their draft picks and and a lot of them high up in the, in, in the order. Philadelphia has just been that mediocre team for so long. I mean, they've ruined Drew's prime and it's it's been pretty embarrassing. I I think Comcast is finally starting to, and Dave Cameron is finally starting to react to the poor ticket sales, the poor sponsors. You know, I mean, it's been doom and gloom in Philadelphia for the Flyers for a while. Uh, the Union are definitely the most exciting team right now. Uh, this well, the well, hold on a second now. Have you heard huh. of Minshew Mania? immediately puts gun to the back of temple <laughs> oh, it's well, a I mean, fraud college, people it's like I mean, crypto it's a I, fraud don't I, believe it the union I have are far better no idea what you're talking about you i don't are follow blessed. college if, sports if there, philly, if there are philly sports fans listening to this and i know there are you know exactly what i'm talking about as somebody who's experienced it before don't you believe it it's the great gift from tom and jerry don't you believe it uh, it's like crypto we know where this is going to end up it's a, it's a fraud so that but not, well, I mean, the Flyers are fraudulent in a different way. Uh, but the Union, oh, God. I, the Union made me so sad. I'm not, I, I don't root for anybody in MLS, but I do know people with the Union. I have worked with the Union before. To watch, like, half their team go into COVID protocol before the Eastern Conference Final, to be leading the game, and then to give up an 88th-minute winner was just, oh, it was heartbreaking. It made me sick. But back to the Flyers. 
Um, well, like you think well, about it, yeah, the Sixers I mean, for, let me, are what they let are. Me, what I think is happening now is going for whatever reason, Dave Cameron is slow in the trigger and Comcast has been given the, the front office a longer leash than, than I think they've deserved. And with this is Fletcher's last bullet to fire. Uh, he, in the press conference, he was saying that he still believes this. He's assembled a playoff team Everything that he's done from through the offseason to now has been to save his job. And he's been even, I mean, he hasn't been on the nose about it, but reading between the lines of his public comments and how the, and how he's posturing his defense, um, you know, he's putting this all on him as far as he has the answer. He knows what he's doing. He's, it's the other stuff as far as, you know, the sk- managing the coronavirus and pandemic schedule and the ins and outs and, and that, but they've they they know that what to do this year or something. It, it's, I don't buy it for a second. I think, you know, what he's hoping is there is that final push from Giroux that can motivate the guys and they can go on a long, on a run to prolong his time in Philadelphia. But I think he knows his days are numbered. He knows that he he probably doesn't get a new coach after you. Like, I think, you know, he lives and dies with Yo almost. Um, Cause I, I don't know if Comcast and well, I, the fans definitely, I don't think want Fletcher to be the one hiring the next coach. Um, and they well, want I the think new right general now, manager somebody to pointed do out, that. Like with all the coaches that they fired, I think they now have like eight million in dead money they're paying to people to not coach. The Who team, cares? Who cares? Is, I Comcast is dripping in money. It doesn't matter. You're right. I'm just saying that that's something that is a thing. If, it can't be. It can't be part of the decision making process. Well, it shouldn't be. I mean, I'm, I mean, you have to point it, it out. That's that's something that you know they took on even that added risk by having so many veteran coaches on the assistant coaching on the coaching staff. You know, like having you know millions of dollars to tear in and you know on the it's ridiculous. I mean, that's it's their own problems, but you know that's something they've done to themselves. So where do you think? Like we know that the team construction. At in many ways, it's not good. I mean, your big moves being Ryan Ellis was a good move, but he's not been. It was it was it was a good move, um, but you. It was a good move, although you know the one thing people would say that would have stopped them from doing the move is Ryan Ellis's health, and so far that's been the story of the Ryan Ellis trade. Even if I would still do the trade over again, he hasn't played. He hasn't, you know, been there to help Provorov get better. The fans are still turning on Provorov. You know, uh, even the fans that acknowledge he hasn't been given much are more tempered and more um, dispassionate in their defense and their their, um, projection of Provorov now. Uh, And that's something, you know, that's... All of this is getting to really, um, you know... Fletcher pushed for a path to win now and his moves to win now besides Ellis have all been what we've called the mediocre middle. I mean, it's like he's chasing for that. He didn't, he didn't throw the money that JVR got. Of course he came in a little after that, but he threw a ton of money at Hayes 
who I don't know if is, is good enough to be the two, type of two center they need uh, and is way too expensive as a, as a third line center. Um, you know, Ristolainen, Yandel. I mean, the big center they got this offseason when they knew that their biggest weakness was center. And, and if Frost didn't make the team, they'd be lacking, especially if any center got hurt, um, was Derek Broussard. There's no way this is a team that's even serious about winning if those are the moves they're making. And I can't stomach Fletcher being here to decide whether, you know, if we if we are moving Claude Giroux, what the return's going to be. And, you know, someone who's going to be, you know, how is he, is he going to be the right messenger to communicate with Claude Giroux a, a clear picture of what the Flyers are, are going to do? You know, is Chuck Fletcher going to keep trying to live day by day as a general manager? Because that's not what the franchise needs. You know, what's best for Chuck Fletcher's career is not what's best for the Flyers. We need someone who can come in with job security, I think, now and plot out a, a vision and identity all I keep hearing from, you know, Fletcher, from Yo, from, you know, A.B. when he was here, from Giroux about what's happened, you know, J.B.R. Farabee is they've lost their way. They don't have an identity. They don't have blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Comcast is on the phone with the NHL. Like, what's the what's the what's the um, penance for Quinville and how do we get quick? quicken this up can we get him in next year type stuff you know what i mean because the, they what you know comcast needs to be that level of they need to operate their flyers like they operate their business if they really want to win because they are so deep in the hole without an identity without they need somebody to come in plot a course on how they're going to win and and ruthlessly execute it um that's what they need. And I, I, again, I'm not advocating for Joel Quinville in Philadelphia. I'm just saying that they they need to they need to have someone come in, clean house, and build out what you know the Flyers are supposed to be. I mean, there is you can you can build a new Broad Street bully model off of the skilled, fast-paced, you know, hockey that you see. Um, in Florida, in Colorado, in Vegas. I mean, it's it's possible. It's possible, and you mentioned it. This team lacks an identity. And when teams fail, it's because they don't know who they are. They can't decide what they are. And I hate the term brand. It's become way too off-used for a bunch of people who shouldn't be using it in so many different fields. But the Flyers don't have an identity. Their identity is the past. And that's not good when you are stuck in the middle in the present. And you're right. You can build a modern and version of the Broad Street Bullies. There are ways to do it. You just need somebody who's willing to take risks and be innovative in some ways in order to get there. And I think with the Flyers, like, even though you could quibble about, you know, what Paul Holmgren and management of the past did, the Flyers were a team that always did something big. They always made big, brash decisions, because that's who they were. That was Ed Snyder, that was Paul Holmgren, that was everybody, right? And the, the Flyers of recent years under Hextall, I mean, he tried to build it up slowly, and then management got impatient. 
you know, upper management got impatient. And now you have Chuck Fletcher who's trying to do it but can't pull it off, right? There are plenty of people in this league who are willing to make bold brass decisions. And it's, it feels like, in a way, and you mentioned Vegas, it feels like Vegas kind of stole what the Flyers used to be, right? They're the one who made those big free agent signings and said, we're going to do it, we'll ask questions later. We're going to be the ones yeah. who trade for Jack Eichel. Like, that's kind of what the Flyers we're gonna, used to we're gonna be, tell right? somebody We're going to tell somebody they can buy a home here, yada, yada, settle down, and then trade them in a blockbuster six months later. Yep, yeah. And, you know, it's... That, and that, and I you know I'm not I'm not saying I want the Flyers to go back to that necessarily, but they need to start. I feel like what Fletcher's done is basically rebuild the Minnesota Wild that were like automatically a playoff bubble team, but like they were always one of the last teams knocked out or one of the first teams knocked out of the playoffs. Like that was always their window, and Fletcher always made moves to like just keep them in that window. Uh, you know, it's always, I, I mean, I, I think that I'm just so, I saw this coming from, you know, a while ago. I didn't see Hayes getting injured. I didn't see Ellis getting injured, but I mean, you, you can kind of bet on those guys getting injured. That's kind of some of the knock on those, on the moves to bring them in. Um, but, there was no identity. I said that, you know, Brian came in and said that I was hearing it. You know, one of the reasons I was saying that was because so many of my other friends that are Flyers fans and that watch hockey and have their own separate opinions and beliefs. And, you know, for me, we're all coming to that same conclusion. Um, you know, they're all saying it and it's, it's embarrassing because there is a template on file for these guys. And it's, um, it's not something that's won, but it's done something that's it's something that's done a lot better than what what they currently have. And I've just been so dead set on, you know, it's time to move on. Gagne got his cup away from the team. You know, Dej, you know the 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 guys who have won cups and have been flyers and good have done it with other teams. Brindamore, Recky, it's okay. You know, like Giroux, it's best for Giroux. He's having a great year. He can go help a team like Colorado. He can go help a team like Florida, hopefully. Um, you know, and chase a cup for two or three years. I know he's got a young family and he might not want to and he might want to stay. But if that's the case, he has to be willing to take lumps. But I think it's incumbent on, like, this is when you call on somebody like Eric Lindros to, like, talk to him or something and be like, you know, do what you got to do, what you want to do. But it, I mean, maybe Breer, he's in the front office that's, somewhere. That's, you know, like it. someone yeah. has to have a real conversation with Drew and be like, "This is what we're going for," uh, because it, 2023, that draft with Connor Bedard, with Matt Mitchkov, I mean, it's Crosby Jr. Ovechkin Jr. Um, you're gonna get. If you can get one of those players, everything else is going to be a lot easier and fall into place. And that's what Florida, that's what, not Florida, but that's what Florida was missing and got. And they got it in a few different players. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, I'm not asking for them to be bad for five, six years. I'm asking them for be, to commit to being finishing out this year bad, 
from you know tearing it down a bit and getting some return on Giroux and some other guys and being bad the following year and trying for to get one of these generational players and you know putting you know but worse comes to worse you're right back in the middle you know i mean if Giroux wants to stay and you still got Couturier you still have Hart and you have Provorov who's a, a solid number two defenseman um you know i think he can get up and be a, a weaker type defenseman um you know when he's confident um that's that's more than valuable teams need that they have different pieces they can you know and by being bad they're going to get some, you know, 2022 draft solid, 2023 drafts really good. You know, whether they get the generation players or not, they'll be at the top of that draft getting some more guys. Um, and then it'll be up to a new front office to fix what arguably is the biggest hole now that they fix, they have a goalie and some of that stuff is development. They need to develop better. Mm-hmm. The good thing about drafting, you know, one through five is those guys usually don't develop in the AHL. They just come right in and play. And as long as you have a good NHL coach and support system in the NHL, you're fine. So it should be easier for Philadelphia to, to manage those, those prospects, but they, they've been boggling so many picks, so many developments, so many, so much everything. I have to say that when you mentioned Danny Briere, I immediately thought that's, that's the answer, right? Because no. if you want, well, I, I think to me, well, I think if, the answer comes in not a flyer, and okay. I don't. I, but you, you, you know, want to go the opposite direction. But I think I think what they did was they they took like generic hockey guy who's not a flyer, Chuck Fletcher. Yeah, you know what I mean. They took like an average when you when you're trying to fit like you know the sta- like a profile, whatever you tend to get average people. Uh, I mean. I don't I think that's what I want to say. Yeah, I'll stand by that. Um but uh you know, I I don't I think what they need to do is look for I mean, maybe it's interviewing a a Shika, maybe it's interviewing some people in Europe. I mean, we've always talked about how teams with a lot of money they can buy European teams uh to help with development, to help with coaching pipeline resources all of you know all of this stuff um it's a fast developing global game uh and that could be a big uh inspiration and source i know that there's uh a european team that's owned by hartnell and kapanen and and uh um team and then i believe um like why and i think that there's a balance that could be struck between bringing back you know Flyers players from the past or people from the Flyers past to give a new regime some yeah. cachet like a Danny Briere or somebody like that. But you, you need somebody who is not going to play the nepotism, who is not going to, you know, th- like Fletcher will get fired because there's no, no there's going to be no one. It, this isn't his home, but like, Holmgren's still there. Bobby Clark's still there. I mean, like, you know, all, you know, the only, Hextall left because he refused to, he was kind of forming his own boys club inside the boys club and they didn't like that and refused to like, 
you know, join their club. So, you know, he got kicked out. And that's what, you know, but the other guys just stay. You know, and that's... There's something Oilers about that, so too, you right? Need, yeah, so what you... you uh, there's just, I mean, there's just something um, decaying about it. Um, and, you know, just a lot of... I don't know. I think what they, if he's a, if they bring in a flyer or a non-flyer, it has to be somebody who wields the hammer. It, it, you know, I think when it's an organization with that much resources, that much pressure, um, you know, it's not a Montreal situation, but it's pretty close. Um, you know, it needs there needs to be an authority figure and accountability somebody who can, you know, dish out the accountability that is revered. It has the respect. And I don't think that has been the case for a long time, um, especially since, you know, Mr. Snyder, Ed has, you know, died. And I don't know if he's, you know, better than Comcast as a, as a you know, top dog steward for the franchise, but um, he definitely was quick to not tolerate losing and he definitely wouldn't i don't think be tolerating of fletcher's mealy mouth defenses mealy mouth moves in the off seasons and things like that um i think there's something that could be said for building a a front office structure that has a flyer as like the public face Right, like a talking like President talking Eric Lindros, thing. man. I mean, yeah, something like that. But like, but like, like he just does all the public stuff. You know, he he helps. You know, with the with the vibes. You know, he does like, all I'm that saying, stuff. Like, if you had okay, so what Montreal has done is they hired Jeff Gordon, a non-French speaker, to essentially be the grand poobah of hockey ops. You know, he tried to read a statement in French and he did his best, and that's fine for somebody from Massachusetts. It was really funny watching somebody with a thick Massachusetts accent try to read in French. That was really quite amusing to me. But they're going to have a GM who is a GM in name only to be the public face, to do the, you know, the public speaking, the affairs of the press, something like that. And he's going to be the bilingual one so Gorton can do the hockey scouting stuff. Like the Flyers, what they need probably is something like that. Somebody who could come in and do the hockey op stuff but the public face of it is somebody like Eric Lindros or Danny Briere who can communicate with the fan base. And we've seen I mean, structures like that fail. It, they don't it, always work. I don't think, I mean, sure. But, uh, I mean, I think that's just extra dress, dressing on top of it. I mean, I think there, there is a real actual need for language. You know, the Habs, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I, I understand. Imagine if you really only spoke English and everything was in French. You know, I completely understand you know, why they so, have to do what they do. And I, I never, I, I don't never think understand. that, I don't think that's the same in Philadelphia. I think really Philadelphia Flyers fans want some, are feel like no one's taking charge. They, you know, some people will give Giroux the credit he deserves saying that he's trying, he's taking charge. You know, Couturier usually gets, you know, a, a nice applause and everything, but largely up to down, you know, no one is doing what it takes to, to win or to make this team better. 
it seems like whether it's frustration or whatever, there just needs to be a lot of changes. Um, and I don't, I don't think they can get around that. And I don't think, you know, a GM who is Danny Briere, that type of positivity of familiarity is going to put them over the hump or make things ultimately better. I, I think because, you know, it's all about accountability. And I think maybe sometimes being a flyer hurts your ability to actually execute that accountability, hold feet to the fire. Um, and, you know, you really see, make the I changes. I can see how you're saying that in some organizations that might work, like bring a former guy home. But in some cases, you're like with the flyers, you're kind of like actually kind of reinforces the old boys club network here. And we can't, you know, be able to hold the former beloved flyer accountable. Yeah. I could kind of see. I, that. I mean, that and, makes sense to me. And, and personally, I'm not. I, I don't think I, it just wouldn't enter into my re requirements. I would, you know, maybe I would interview some flyers if, you know, I would put different, you know, have different boxes to check, and, you know, I would field. I would go out looking for people and and invite people, but then I would also kind of. I think the Flyers would be stupid if they didn't open up invitations because you never know. A guy like Sergei Fedorov might throw his hat in the ring and you might never think, oh, he's Sergei Fedorov. But, you know, right now he's he's uh, in headlines for pulling his goalie twice in a row in overtime in the KHL and scoring. I mean, he's if you want to if you talk about ag being aggressive, going for it, trying to win, but also being um, progressive and, uh, you know, backed in, in sort of the data, um, data approach of, you know, going for things like pooling a goalie and being more strategic, like th things like that. Um, you know, the European and, you know, he's a former player that would ca carry a lot of cash cachet. You know, we've talked about that. It's not a flyer, but it's a guy who's, I mean, he's a guy who beat the flyers cry. in the Stanley cup final. Yeah. Um, but, but I yeah, mean, it, I mean, in, in that way, you're, you're right about just thinking outside the box, yeah. but it kind of feels like they have to, because like, and you look at like former GMs that are available, you're not going to hire any of them at this point. If you fire Chuck Fletcher, because why would you, you're not getting any better. You're not going to get better with Shirelli. You're not going to get better with Bergman. Good Lord. That would be a disaster. Right. No, I mean, you I, can't do any of that. I think, so, I think Shikas, I mean, I wouldn't mind him somewhere in an organization. I was thinking capacity. Megan Shika. Like, if here's what teams should I, be thinking I don't, about. I don't know. I don't know much about her. Well, well what she does, I, I like her work. But I'm thinking in, in a sense of if you're going to take risks at this point, which is what all these teams that have fired everybody need to do, and the Flyers are going to fire Chuck Fletcher, I think it's pretty obvious. You have to be willing to try something a little different. I think we are all understanding in the world we live in now, that if you want to win in any sport, you have to be willing to think outside the box a little bit. You have to be willing to do something a little bit different, a little bit unconventional. And when you look at who are the teams that are winning in this league right now, Colorado has Joe Sackick as the GM. I mean, it's great to have Joe Sackick as the GM, but a lot of the things that they've done in the front office, we know who they have hired, you know, from an analytics perspective, but like they built a style and the first thing I think that the Flyers have to decide, and that's everyone from top on down, from David Cameron to Bobby Clark to Paul Holmgren, whoever's still there, have to decide what they want to be. What kind of team do you want to be? 
And then from that flows everything else. Because when you look at what the Avs are, they have a style. And they play to that style. They acquire players to that style. And you see what that led to. The Panthers have a style. They have a brand. They play a certain way. They acquire players who fit a certain mold. And that works, right? That is what makes that team work. I, I think the it's even, I think it's too. even I think it's even easier. I mean for for the Flyers. I think it's I think they look at the Flyers playing Russia. They look at that that how you know, they look at the Broad Street bullies in the playoffs. And you know, they edit out all the extreme, you know, fighting and yes. the stuff you can't do. But you look, they were strong, fast. They moved the puck. It it wasn't about who was scoring the goal. It was that they were scoring. It was, you know, they had a commitment to playing all the dumb and boring parts of the game and getting beat up for 40 minutes to generate the two or three goals that maybe sometimes came at the end of the game, only if they didn't get frustrated, only if they stuck with it, you know, you highlight that. And then what you do is you throw in all the best highlights of, you know, the top NHL teams right now, you throw in all the best highlights of, you know, from like the world hockey cup and Olympics and world juniors and stuff. Right. And then you, 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 that show, you know, the high end skill that when you have pace and when you have open ice, can, it can just devastate teams that aren't able to handle it. And you just say, how do you meld that together? And what you do is you, ha- you bring in the coaches or the GMs and stuff and you ask them, how do you do it? And because I don't, I don't think it should be Comcast. I don't think it should be Comcast's job to put the identity on the Flyers. I think the Flyers have an identity, and it's up for Comcast to pick the perfect, the best steward to carry on that identity. So I think what they should do is, you know, for Comcast, for the Flyers franchising to do the think outside the boxes, open the invitations outside the box, put together their definition of Flyers hockey. And, you know, tell them, you know, give the candidates the ability to to show their vision uh, of the Flyers and how they would get there. And, you know, Comcast throws, you know, it's going to be pretty, I think, you know, the hockey people that are still in, in Philadelphia are going to, I think it's going to be pretty obvious when the right candidate shows itself. Um, because what's, they're all kind of followers and, when a leader shows up, they'll start following it. I think that's the the way it's going to go, to be honest with you. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. But I I think that they have to be much stronger in leaning into that identity and trying to find a way to construct a team that does that because the teams that are winning have truly strong identities at this point in the league and they know what they are. And that makes teams better because they know what they're striving for. There isn't this grasping at what are we, who are we, what are we trying to do here? And I think the Flyers, it's the matter of modernizing what you're able... This is not like a team like Florida where you had to build something from scratch, essentially. You had to figure out what you wanted to be. The Flyers have that in their in their history, and it's time to yeah. figure I mean, out the, a way to modernize that. I mean, the Bruins have that. done that. 
I mean, yeah, the Bruins that, have done that. That's that's the reason they've kept their aging core relevant, even as they've shedded Krejci and Chara and Krug, and you know they've gone through all of these players, and you know they've added guys like Mike Riley, and somehow they're still you know relevant. They're still taking on you know other teams, and they're hanging in one of the toughest divisions. And they're not the ones that are, you know, it's never the Bruins team. People are like, oh, they might be fighting for bubble teams. They're like, all right, well, the Bruins are still here, so, who, you know, we, we might have to get in on a wild card here. Um, and that's a testament. And that's what they need to do. They need to find their Cassidy. Uh, they need to find their Cam Neely, maybe, or somebody outside the organization to come in. Um, like we said, but they they kept that Bruins identity relevant. They kept their, you know, it's something that Florida, or not Florida, I keep saying it because they're so freaking out of there. No, no, Philadelphia is so freaking out of, out of their depths of where they should be. Um, I'm confusing them with the typical Florida Panthers. You are right. Um, it is, right. Is, well, is well, it's so fast funny approaching about it. And the Panthers are, and the Panthers are what, you know, they're not, they're not flyers, but they have all the things you want. They have an identity. They have a style of play, even though they yeah. had to fire their coach and in again, terrible circumstances, they still have that identity. And, yeah. and again, it. It, it's not finished. It has flaws there, you know, all that stuff, but you know, they're, they're not, you know, the the fans that are committed to the team are buying tickets, they're buying jerseys, they're happy, uh, and there's light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what Philadelphia needs to focus on. Um, I, I think too, too much what Comcast has focused on is how do we make sure we can get to the playoffs and how do we get casual Philadelphia sports fans in the door? And I think... You know, that's all well and good and everything, but right now they need to be 100% about improving the on-ice product and not, you know, anything else. Not all these light displays, not all this in-game, you know, upgrades and all this stuff. And they need to focus on putting a team on the ice and making sure that Claude Giroux's career nets some sort of value back and helps this franchise. Let, let Gritty be the one to bring the casual fans in the building and let the hockey people do what they need to do to build a team that will bring the casuals into the building it's, anyway because they're winning. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's... it's I'm frustrated and over it and painful just because, it's, I mean, not to brag or beat on a dead horse, but it's just, it's something I've seen coming. I know, I feel like I know what the answer is. It, it's, and... The fear of doing it is what's stopping Comcast. It's why that they didn't do one clean chop and take AV and Fletcher out. That's why they gave Fletcher the, you know, the one in one million chance of hitting lightning in a bottle with Yo, uh, and salvaging the season. Because Comcast is like, uh, if we could just make the playoffs, we don't care. If this all will be made better, we'll forget all about this losing. If we can just get a, a round of playoff ticket revenue, that's all we need. Um, and, and to me, that that sort of um, thinking is what's gotten them in this place and what's going to keep them from doing anything with Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny, Joel Farabee, Carter Hart, you know, 
Matt V. Mishkov, if they got him, if they still had this mentality, you know, we've seen it in Edmonton. Um, it can be damaging. It can, it can be, be 100% limiting. You're right. And also, while we talk about, you know, teams changing front offices, speaking of teams that had no ability to make a decision, I mean, the Canucks finally made a decision. It took them too long to do it. I don't know what they were waiting on. But that inability to make a decisive decision, it, it, it costs teams when you're not willing to do that, right? Like, you have to be, like, patience is good right? You need to be patient. If you're too trigger happy, you're not going to win. There is a middle between being too patient and then being, you know, what the Flyers often have been in the past, or in my definition, an Italian soccer team, which fires its manager every right. few weeks. But, but I mean, you, you need to be willing to be decisive. And I get the sense that Comcast is not, as owners are not willing to be decisive. And the Canucks were not decisive. And that's why they kept this Jim Benning nonsense going on for far too long. And now they finally fired everybody. But it's too late. You can't salvage what's already here. That it's done. That ship sailed, you know. And what the Flyers like, the Flyers would have done a much better job if they hired Bruce Boudreaux. Like that would have been, like it wouldn't have changed really much. But it would have, like Bruce Boudreaux would have held people accountable because that's what Bruce Boudreaux does, right? And you see, I mean, it's but, one game. Yeah, I mean, if you know, Fletcher would have loved to go back to to Boudreaux if he could have uh, a coaching hire he's already made. But I mean, again, at least he still had an inside guy with yo um, on the bench. So, I, I mean, I know. you know, that's probably his second best guy. If he, you know, if he had a coach that, you know, was going to be coaching for his job. Um, and he is coaching for his job. I mean, yeah, luckily, but I don't think Boudreaux would have been an option for Florida because Boudreaux's big thing is coming in, putting his identity, you know, making a lot of tweaks and changes and system stuff right away. Um, so that would have been horrible in Florida. Well, uh, I even mean Philly, I think they would have been willing to take that risk. I think Well, yeah, it would have been it would have been fine in Philadelphia, I think. Yeah, no, but, that's that's the thing that they should like that when I saw the Canucks hiring I'm like that's that's the thing the Flyers should have done. But I think like, that's that, what ultimately drove the change to be made because I think probably what Fletcher was telling higher ups was, well, we still got Boudreaux. We still got Boudreaux. We still got Boudreaux. And then, then boom, the Boudreaux move happens and then they get blown out. And it's like, all right, we can't wait till the next coach is off or, you know, we can't wait to, you know, start our coaching search um, because they, they are saying they started their coaching search, but you know, yeah, you know, I, I think what they're really starting is their, president or gm or whatever they're going to call it search and letting that shake out and figure out the coach from you know the, well what that's how well that. that's how it, that's how it should be it felt really yeah. weird when they hired boudreaux and then oh they fired the gm it, there were some things that were a little backwards there for vancouver but i'm just i'm right. glad they did it i, I think like, vancouver's absolutely screwed and you know well, yes they are but i don't under like you said i don't understand the trepidation because you know, who are you firing? You're firing Jim Benning, who's had a good good life, makes mil makes, you know, more than enough money, uh, is well gonna be well compensated compensated after being fired. And, you know, it's all about expiration dates. Hackstall was fired after he passed his expiration date. You know, A V passed his expiration date. Benning and Green passed their expiration dates, you know. It, they had different they had different timelines because you know one was brought in to bring up the youth and and go through it but 
you know, at the end of the day, they were over a year. They were probably a year past their their expiration dates. If we're being yeah. fair, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, AV was a short. Too. You know, AV was short shelf life. You know, Ducharme was was the change the voice if it that didn't work then you know you're start you're doing other things and you might as well have a new coach because you know why would you want Ducharme at that point um you know and that's the yeah. same thing with yo you know yo's a change of the voice if it doesn't work he's gone <laughs> the new new gm is not keeping him uh, i i could i don't i wouldn't see that um so yeah there there's it, it's for for all of these teams they have to be willing to be decisive, have to be willing to figure out if they haven't already figured out what their identity is. In the case of some of these teams like Vancouver they, and Montreal, they don't have them. You have to be willing, and again, we said this with the with the Panthers and in reference to Viola and Sifu, and they finally got on board. You have to be willing to burn money, like millions of dollars. You have to be willing to burn it just to just to have another chance to burn money. And, you know, if you want to win, that's what you're going to have to do. Um, it's, that's it's what Philadelphia needs to do. Every sports they need team, to burn money you more. have to win by, by spending. you got to spend it smart. Don't spend it wildly and randomly, but you have to spend it smart. And in the NHL, where can you get an advantage? You know that you have a salary cap system that limits the amount you can pay players. But in terms of coaching staff, support staff, things of like sports psychologists, nutrition – you can spend your money there and completely blow other teams out of the water because you have more money than them. And the Flyers, and I don't understand why a bunch of teams that are in the upper echelon of wealth in this league don't do this because, you know, they should. And, you know, like, the Flyers should be willing to do that. You know, right? Like, shouldn't they be willing to spend more money in the areas where other teams cannot spend more money? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, they've done it into like in-game entertainment and stuff like that. Listen, and, Gritty's awesome, but yeah. Gritty does not cover over the fact that I mean, I'm not going to a Flyers game to see Gritty. I'm not going to a most Flyers of the game people who do. Them. That's all they got left to see. I mean, yeah, it, I'm like that. That's that's my point. It's you have to be willing to. The on-ice product is the most important thing. Winning yeah, cures have, everything. Yeah, you have to, and you know, I think. Philadelphia needs to start burning money looking for their new their new guy or you know their new group of people who are going to you know set up some accountability and set up and hold them to the identity they're supposed to have. I mean, I the way Clausure is playing and with how frustrated and lost he feels if you know you can see why they're trying to make it work and why Fletcher's kicking and screaming for his job because he is, you know, his best play, his best player, you know, in all intents and purposes from him is Claude Giroux and he's playing out of his mind for him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and Hart's bouncing back. He's, you know, in his head, it's so close. Yeah, I don't know. Right. But moving moving to Florida. Yes. Can we? I can go on and more in Philadelphia all day. We, we will. Day. I'm going to write something on just like what these teams need to be figuring yeah. Have, in their process. And that's Vancouver. That's Montreal. That's Chicago, too. And Anaheim and places like that. And there yeah. will be more. Joyous, joyous, joyous season. Happy Hanukkah. Happy, happy holidays. The Flyers fired Elaine Vigneault, but it's not changing anything. But in terms of joy, I mean, I am... Uh, we are recording this in the middle of the afternoon, uh, Tuesday. 
uh, as we get to talking about the Panthers. Barkoff and Forsling are going to return, which is interesting to me. I hope they play better on the road than they have been playing. Uh, really, they're... The things I want to get to with the Panthers are not anything in terms of like what we have talked about with them in the past, because what they are is what they are. I mean, I'm not happy with some of the defensive breakdowns that I'm seeing. You know, the specialty teams is still not good. Bobrovsky struggled the last couple of games, but they're still winning. In spite I wouldn't of say Bobrovsky because... struggled. He just couldn't keep up a 9-4. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's that, too. You're, you're definitely right about that. He's coming back to Earth a little bit. Uh, I still think there are some... Especially, especially could... of the... Uh... Lack of focus. Yeah, there's that too. But I mean, the fact is, they are, they have the best record in the league still. (laughs) I mean, at some point, we're grasping at straws when we talk about how good they've been uh, and what they can improve upon because they do have the best record in the league. And as we are now figuring out with Carolina's had injury issues, Toronto's now going through it, it's really hard to win when you have big guys out of the lineup and the Panthers have still somehow managed to do that. I think they've lost only two games with Barkoff out in this stretch which is stupid. Like, they should not be able to do that. And I, I want to make very clear that they do need to improve things for the playoffs. I, and I keep saying that, and I will continue to say that, particularly now that they're going to play road games. They have not been a good road team this year. But in the end, if you told me earlier in the year that they're going to miss Barkoff and Duclair for an extended period of time, and they have missed them for an extended period of time, and yet they'd still find ways to win even with those problems and score consistently and have a balanced attack, I would have said, I can believe it, but I don't believe it because this team had a good injury luck last year and somehow managed to, you know, ride that. This team has proven, and this is going to be really important for the future when they start having cap crunch issues, that they can manufacture their own depth. It's pretty good to see. And as Barkoff and Forsling return, that's going to obviously make them better. Uh, I mean, Lucas Carlson is apparently a member of the, uh, you know, the Gus Forsling cloning machine army, which is apparently what the Panthers have because they just cloned Gus Forsling and created another one, which is, hey, good for them. I, I like this innovation from Bill Zito. And well, they're about to, I don't, about I, to see I, only I, I for think, the first I, time, I've too. Been hearing, I, I've been hearing a lot. They're very different players. They are. They are, but they feel they, they are. They just both came from... They're both just quote-unquote reclamation projects. Yes. They're both Swedish defensemen who are playing far beyond what anybody could have ever anticipated, and they got them for basically nothing. So, yes, I understand that they're different players. But they're also about to see Ole Uyulevi. And I don't know if you saw this. I saw it as we were recording this. Uh, The Flyers came Kevin Connaughton off waivers. That's not going to make them any better. Um, And the needs for the Panthers, more Ole Uyulevi, which is good. I like this. Oh my gosh! Oh, that is exactly I. You know, O'Brien, O'Brien joke that would happen. And so it's I just, guess I guess we know I guess we so know this perfect. is going to happen too much, but it does mean that we're it's going to see so Olu Levy for the Panthers at some point, which is good. I yeah, like I that. can't wait to see him. But I no, 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 like that, 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 that. Oh is, God! Really One, really you know, good for Kevin Kanat, and I, I mean. I don't mind. He wasn't terrible, but I'm happy to get rid of him just because I I was tired of, why is Lucas Carlson playing over Connaughton? Which was starting to happen from some very vocal. Well, uh, it was happening with me, and then I eventually cut to watching Carlson play, and I'm like, actually, no, he's fine. Keep him in here. Yeah, I mean, it took, again, a lot of D who are um, a little more subtle. 
they don't ha- they don't necessarily have the they don't drip all that skill that like a Macar or you know a Hughes or some of these new age defensemen like Hamilton and stuff have. But the it once they pick up on like the timing and spatial awareness and where their teammates are gonna be, they can start to then have a chance to show their talents. And I think that's kind of what happens with Forsling. Uh, that happened with Carlson, and um, you know it w- was kind of happening with Juleson, but he couldn't stay healthy, and you know eventually left. And I hope it happens um, with Yuli Levy. Yeah, and I think I think you know as long as he can stay healthy as well, uh, it should. You know, but w- what I'm I'm starting to worry about how tied they are to Gudis and Montour, uh, because if. For you, Levy to play, Carlson has to sit and vice versa. If that's the dynamic we get tied into, um, I'm not sure that's the best best way to do the decor. I think, you know, every you know, there's we. I don't think we have a four a number four defenseman. I think we have our top three pretty pretty set. I think Forsling earned that third spot um, behind Weger. And then, you know, you have Montour and Gudis who have the contract, have the expectation from the general manager of, you know, with that contract of, you know, playing every day or being impactful in every way uh, when they're not playing. Um, You're going to have to start rotating those guys out because if Carlson keeps playing like this, um, you know, he deserves to play. If they can get Levy playing like that, he's going to need to play. Um, and you're going to have to keep them fresh. And it can't just always be one-on, one-off. Um, because the other thing we've talked about and we haven't seen is getting different D pairs, getting um, a little more variety and the ability to play with different partners and trying – uh, to see if you can find a little more stability around the home plate area in the D zone off the cycle with new D pairs. If, you know, that makes switching, communication, all you know, that kind of stuff a little easier. Um, I don't think we've hit optimal for all three pairs. Uh, and when we hit a good team in the playoffs, we can't have – we're going to need to be able to roll out different pairs just you know because some guys are going to be going some guys are not going to be going you have to shorten the bench injuries all of that and you can't be missing ddd passes in the d zone you can't be oh where is this guy going to be where you know does he usually like to be in front of the net does he usually like to be in fighting in the corners how do we work off of each other you know how does he call for a switch you know you can't be figuring that out in april um you'll be dead so you have to, you know, I want to see more from that. We've just seen how the variety of offensive lines, how putting guys in different spots, opening up to new opportunities, asking new things of them can give you good results. You know, that's how they've won so much with Barkov out of the lineup. Uh, I would like to see it uh, on the D pairs. It, it, I think it's time. I think especially with the way Carlson stepped up, and the way Montour has looked the last couple of games, kind of why we've been in some holes, uh, you know, the, and yeah. you know, we're still, I'm still getting a little, I'm still tired of that 
Forsling Gudas pairing. So, I mean, I, I think talking about expiration dates for anybody who's still listening to this podcast. I think um, we got people who listen we're, for, we're beyond it. for a while. I think so. I believe. But yeah, we're def- I think we're definitely beyond that. You know, it's beyond time to have Ulf uh, change it up here. Uh, I know, I think what it has been is continuity for the goaltending and they don't want to get away from it. But you can't keep babying the goaltending at this point. Um, I mean, maybe when Knight's in that short, you can go back to the tried and true like he is tonight. Um, but Bob, I think if you're going to be babying Bob after he's given you a quarter of the season looking like a Vesna candidate, uh, you're basically telling your goalie you don't trust him. And that's eventually you're going to crumble and fall anyway. Um, I think you have to, you have to do something with the D. Try, you know, shake things up a bit. Again, I it's, it's not do or die. It's not dire now. It's I don't think it's going to lead to them dropping games in the regular season or anything like that. Um, but we talk of what happens, you know, if, you know. Forsling goes down or, you know, and these new, and we have to have these new pairings. I, I want to see, you know, does Yulevi or Carlson play well with Ekblad? We're playing really well right now. You it's, can find it's worth spots. trying. You know, Arizona's things. coming up soon. You yeah. Can find like they're going to eventually reach the point in the season where it doesn't matter what they do. They're going to be where they are regardless. So it, it is time to, I think, yeah. yeah, like you don't have to break up Ekblad and Uyghur, although I think it's sometimes you and, want to see what it looks like when they play with other players. Because yeah, And I think sometimes you start the games with new pairs and you go back to the old one after a period or halfway through, or, you know, you start with the old and you switch, or you just do one game here or there. You know, you don't... I, I'm not asking for everything to be constantly in a blender or to have, you know, four different pairings every week or anything crazy like that but it's 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 the one thing that still bothers me because uh you know they they do it for the forwards and you see results i mean we've seen how it's helped reinhardt we've seen how it's helped lundell we've seen how it has helped duclair um, well, it's you know. funny you mentioned this because I think in this stretch where we haven't seen the best out of, you know, Carter Verhage, for instance, has been really quiet the last couple weeks. And that's fine because all these other forwards are playing better. Like Reinhardt's getting on a bit of a heater right now. You, you just love the way Anton Lindell continues to play. You know, you have a guy like Bamman who comes in and for the first couple games I've watched him, I was not pleased and he then scores two goals against the Blues, and you're like, okay, I see what they're trying to go for here with these forwards. And that's out of necessity because Barkov's not in the lineup, and there were stretches where they weren't scoring, and they're trying to spark something. And that was a good instinct from, from Andrew Burnett, and that was a good instinct from Derek McKenzie and Tuomo Rue, too. And you want to see that, too, with the defensemen because, you know, you had a chance by, again, with Forsling out, to see what looks different with different kinds of defensemen. And you found Lucas Carlson kind of by accident. Like, and it's really funny how he's the best player in that whole Connolly-Borgstrom trade. Again, good, good work, Chicago. Uh, and now you have a guy who, like Lo Steranen, 
you can't take him out of the lineup because he's playing too he's playing too well. You, you just you can't do that. So you have to find a way to to balance that. And if that means you scratch Montour for a night or Gudis for a night for load management, which is basically what you could say because we want to keep your legs fresh because we know the style you play, why not? Because then that means you get to look at something a little bit different. And for that reason, your team plays better if they have more trust in one another and there's more willingness, you know, in case something happens because you can't predict injuries and last year none of us could have predicted Aaron Lightbride breaking his leg. The fact that they were able to be multiple and the kinds of defensive looks they threw at people allowed them to be better once Ekblad went out and they lost their bench defenseman and it didn't look like they missed a beat. That's something I think that, you know, we could see changes. Like, it's not change for the sake of change. It is change for the sake of giving yourself more options, more things to deploy when you know you might need it down the line. And everything at this point, because they are where they are, yeah, it would be nice to see them win the President's Trophy. Yeah, it would be nice to see them not have to play Tampa in the first round. But they're going to have to beat these teams anyway. You need to be ready for the playoffs. And that's what is basically what we continue to hammer the points. Yeah, and I don't even think it's a drop-off even to to do this. I think it's just like in the same sense of, yeah, we haven't heard much of Rahegi, but other guys have stepped up. Like there's only so much puck to go around. There's only so many roster spots. We have eight good defensemen. Only six can play every night. There has to be... You know, and if you want all eight of them to be at the best at the end of the season, so you have the best chance of winning the cup, how do you do that? Well, you figure out a way to get all of them action. Um, and it just makes too much sense. Um, so, and that can't just mean cycling a third pair, you know, that, that sometimes does mean Ekblad Uyghur should play some time apart with other guys. Yeah, if games call for it, you can always put them back together and stuff. You know, no one's going to be sitting Ekblad or Uyghur for rotation purposes. We're just talking, you know, but who's here really going to care if they put Forsling and Uyghur back together, put Carlson up with Ekblad, and, you know, the third pair is, you know, Ulevi and Gudis or Ulevi and Montour or something, or Montour and Gudis. Like, you know, no one's going to care try it it's it's worth it and also now that they lost Connaughton on waivers they have fewer bodies in the system yeah so they're gonna have to go out and get another it's, body at some point, I don't obviously. well they, they will because I don't think they, they they only called up Kirstead and Kirstead was I don't, really not good when he played yeah so well Kirst that, that was something I want to talk about is I, I think I'm not uh, I don't I'm not saying I'm done like he needs to leave the organization but my expectations of him being substantially better than the Brady keepers, Ryan Still, Riley Stillman's. I, I don't know. I'm not uh, sure about yeah. that. I'm or not even sure Ryan about Stillman, either, you, you can Stillman look at level. some of the numbers for a team that dominates the puck, and you'd look at Kierstead's numbers, you'd go, oh, no. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, we'll I, see I how Ulevi, but if Ulevi just, like, hits the ground running, then yeah. <laughs> there, there's definitely that, but I think they're going to have to acquire another body because they just lost one of the ones that they had and they don't have many to call up if they have to. So I think they're going to get somebody at some point, but don't get somebody for the sake of getting somebody, well, get somebody who fits into how you play. Yeah. Who's a new well, idea on my that point. I was going to say is the, the body they need to bring, bring in to be all honest is another top four left-handed player. Um, and I guess uh, uh, you, you wonder if they're just waiting, you know, they thought you wasn't going to get hurt. So they, 
Um, you know, if they thought I mean, they by now they would know. At, like get back but, in after playing a game and then going out for essentially the rest. I don't. Of the I don't year. know if Nunavara would have been that guy either. Um, I think with, he's unavailable now because it seems very. They much need like to find someone as good as Forsling. I think that if that could better. be done, if not better. I think that that could be done. You know, and that I think that's what that's the type of buy they should be targeting, because I think, you know, the. When it comes down to it, if they really just need a body at the end of trade deadline, they can find another Lucas Carlson. You know, they could go back and get Noah Juleson back, or you know, they could do they could get probably trade a pick and get Kevin Connaughton back, or you know, they could do something they need to at the eleventh hour. But until then, they should be just focusing on can they get an impactful left-handed D, um, or even a right-handed D at this point. So, but yeah. somebody, somebody who can probably play both sides if they're getting a right-handed D. Speaking um, of defensemen, speaking of defensemen, I want to do this before we wrap this show up. I want to talk about Aaron Ekblad because I saw you um, and the Y Hockey friends of ours were tweeting about Aaron Ekblad's numbers and how well he's playing. Because if you read Dom Lecision's piece on the Athletic, and he was going by his numbers, which are obviously very good. He was talking about who would be a favorite for the Norris. And right now, in many regards, Aaron Ekblad would be the favorite for the Norris. And that's not just because he has eight goals and counting stats are good. His possession numbers are off the charts, obviously, as you would have if you're good on the Panthers. But you were also saying, and I saw something, I think it was Jay Jay Fresh, Jack Fraser, who tweeted this. It was something along the lines of, well, weren't the numbers with Uyghur and Forsling just as good, if not better? And I think in some ways that misses the forest through the trees. Because why Aaron Ekblad is playing so well, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that, yeah, he's playing with Mackenzie Weger and he's great with Weger, or that Weger had really good numbers last year with Gus Forsling. Some of that is the system. But I think also, and you, and you were mentioning this, there is a little bit of an underappreciation of what Aaron Ekblad does and what he's really good at. And I think we should talk about that a little bit because I also saw someone else uh, who was Rangers fans when... You mentioned that Aaron Ekblad is a favorite for the Norris, not the favorite, but a favorite. They took right. it as a slight against Adam Fox, which makes no sense because Adam Fox is still really good and is a favorite for the Norris. But just because there's another defenseman who's playing out of his mind right now does not mean that Adam Fox is suddenly not a contender for the Norris anyway. It's not like, you right. know, yeah. just because you want it, you know, it doesn't mean like he's automatically going to win it for the rest of time. So what was your point about Aaron Ekblad? Because I thought it was an important point to make when it comes to talking about his performance I'll, and why he's and why he should be considered, you know, in Norris conversation. I'll, I'll preface this with uh, anecdotal evidence that I, I, at one point, no, I do know that there is data out there and I hope that it backs up what I'm about to say on this. But Ekblad is, I think one of the best defensemen at the blue lines. There is data I, because Corey Schneider has pointed this I, out multiple times. I think I think what Ekblad does, keeping pucks in, stopping rushes by just you know forcing a chip and chase into the neutral zone by holding and knowing how to be on you know where to be and how to have his stick and when to step and when to kind of just hold your ground um, and or when to back off. I think he does an excellent job of that. And this is for somebody whose weakness in skating is lateral movement. 
and some of those pivots and stuff. So he's found a way to be strong around a weakness. And I think that is incredible. Um, and in the opposite ends, it's, you know, f- forcing dumps, not letting, you know, like giving up the blue line as much and stuff, um, not making gray zone turnovers. When he carries the puck out, he's not getting to the blue line, getting pressure and, and turning the puck over. Um, you know, he understands that, especially for a defenseman, the, you know, the area just inside the blue line, just outside the blue line, both of your offense and D blue line are basically just like the home plate area. Just, you know, it's, it's just as dangerous. That's a great place for counterattacks to start uh, and for you to get caught flat-footed um, and for a break to happen and for you to hang your goalie out to dry. And I think, you know, that's conversely Uyghur's weakness. He constantly over-pinches. He constantly gets caught flat-footed at the blue line. We're trying to, you know, swing and miss at a puck, jump and miss at a puck. Um, constantly making turnovers in the gritty zones um, with the puck on his stick, getting soft around that. And I don't mean soft as in not playing tough. I mean not keeping his focus, not understanding, you know, not playing through the whistle, you know, especially, you know, during some of our early season success, I was getting real upset with Uyghur because when we'd be up a couple goals, he would be passing slower. Like he wouldn't put as much zip on his pat or breakout passes and stuff. Like it's, you know, and again, this isn't, I'm not saying anything bad about Uyghur. Extremely happy with them. I think it's not it's, my it's, job it's to tell him how it's, to play hockey, but no, I think what it, what you're saying is that's his one. Is the strengths ball. of Aaron Eckblad's game yeah. are, are in some areas, weaknesses of Uyghur's game. I think they're also weaknesses yeah. of Forsling too, because Forsling oh, also sure. is not as good with that lateral movement. I think sometimes you do see him get beat to the outside. I think we've seen a lot this year from Panthers defensemen that teams are willing to go to the outside and beat them to yeah. the net front. Right. Yeah. And I mean, other than, other than Eckblad, I think, Every Panthers defenseman has at some point been beaten in that area. I think there was a goal against Washington um, would, recently happened, that was very much like that. You know, I think you saw it against St. Louis at times. Like, it's, it's a problem with Montour particularly. And with Aaron Eckblad, it is a huge strength. He does not get beaten to the outside, even if he isn't the quickest skater in the world. He's a big dude. And yeah. even if he does it, he can't move side to side as fast as some of his counterparts. It's but group. he does a really good job of masking that because he makes plays at the blue line to break up passes, like entries, and exits too. And he's really, really good at that. And that is a quantifiable skill. I think Corey Snyder has pointed that out at times in the past. Like, he's really good at denying zone entries in that area you're talking about, just on either side of the blue line. And that is an incredibly good skill, and it's something that he wasn't particularly good at when he got to the league, right? Right. And no, I think and overall, I think that's where it came from. I mean, it's not like like Forsling and Uyghur, they're they were they weren't failing against top players in those areas and getting called out for it in the tape room. They weren't, you know, like so and you know, he was going back at a young age in his when he could make the most amount of change in the offseason, when when those impacts still matter, you know, because after a while, you know, you're, you you just, you get old. I mean, it, that's the sad truth of it, you know, old cat, new tricks, you know, that whole thing. 
Um, but, you know, in his prime developmental years, that's what he was working at because that's what he was struggling with at the NHL level as an 18, 19, 20-year-old player um, because of his skating, you know, deficiencies. Uh, and it's... I, I, I don't think he's as good as Adam Fox. I don't think he's as good as McCarr. But I think he is, you know, in that three to five range of defensemen in the NHL. I would take him over Quinn Hughes. I would take him over Dougie Hamilton. I would take him over. Uh, I mean, maybe Miro Heiskanen is probably one of the only other D I can really call to mind. Um, you know, if I could get a younger Brodine or, you know, I don't know. But. Ekblad to me is just the guy. Like he's he's someone that wants the puck on his stick in the big moments. Has de- has delivered it, you know, as far as what they've as far as he's been able to go with the team. Uh, and I ex- and I expect him and I trust him when the puck's on his stick to make those those plays again when we get to the playoffs this year if he's healthy. I mean, there th- there is not like my whole point is. Yes, Fox or McCarr might be a D I, I feel just as comfortable with the puck on their stick in the big moments or defending in the big moments. But, uh, you know, that's about it. You know, Ekblad is that here's guy. What I, here's what I want to make a point about Aaron Ekblad is we talk about him being underappreciated. I think he was underappreciated really his entire career, and that's kind of just stuck with him for whatever reason, not necessarily him as a player and how he views himself in his own game, but I think just a popular perception. Because when you look at that draft, and we were at that draft, you know, I mean, and if you did a redraft, you'd take Leon Dreisaitl, but Ekblad would be second. And I think people were wondering, like, could he be a franchise building around you number one defenseman? I think that was a question for a lot of people, because in his first two years, yeah. he played with Brian Campbell. And Brian Campbell, again, of course he got at the time when we were starting to learn what that meant, right? Just puck possession machine. And you could not have asked for a better partner for Aaron Eckblad in his young career. He learned a lot from Brian Campbell, right? And who wouldn't want to learn a lot from Brian Campbell as a young defenseman in the NHL? But then I think as he tried to strike it out on his own, he had those concussions, you know, the, the World Cup of Hockey that didn't work out for him, right? That, those major struggles we saw. And then getting back from that, playing with Yandel, who didn't work well with him, you know, they didn't mesh, and those couple of teams that just, I don't think, really suited his skill set. But even then, he found a way to get better, and he got better. And then when Joel Quenville came in, he got better again, and he found his permanent partner, or semi-permanent partner, Mackenzie Weger. And then after the bubble, he got better again. Last year was his best season. And you could see appreciable gains in his game where we talk about the ways he breaks up plays at the blue line, the way he takes control of a game, he manages the tempo of a game and says, this is my game, I'm going to take, this is my stop, right? He added all of that to his game. He got tougher in winning those one-on-one battles, right? In the home plate area, he's a much better defender in that regard than he has been. And this year, he's gotten even better, even after a broken leg. So I think for me, what's underappreciated about him was not just the start of his career, but He's gotten better every single year in appreciable ways, and you can see that. And maybe it took longer than it took for a Kale McCarr or an Adam Fox or somebody like that to, you know, take the league by the scruff of the neck. But he's done that, and I think we should appreciate not just the fact that he's having an awesome season, but also that he has improved in some ways incrementally, but in other ways in far bigger jumps 
every single season. And that's why this team is in many ways as good as it is. And I talked about that with Jack Hahn. Like, would Mackenzie Weger have gotten turned in some of the ways that he got exploited by the Lightning in that series? And I'm referring to Ekblad in this case. I don't think so. And I think, again, you can, Mackenzie Weger is great. Let's not make any, you know, qualms about that. But he has weaknesses and flaws that really good teams exploited. And Aaron Ekblad, if he's the one who's marshalling everything you do from, you know, your own goal line to the opponent's goal line, some of those weaknesses are harder to exploit even for the best teams. And that's why I think Aaron Ekblad is such a superior defenseman in the league. And I'm not saying he's better than Fox or McCarr. It's probably going to be those three for the, Col- uh, for the, for the Norris this year. But I think to me, it's, it's a matter of watching that improvement and seeing that improvement on a year-to-year basis and his weaknesses becoming areas of strengths. Or if there are weaknesses, he figures out a way to overcome that with a new element to his game. And that is something that we don't appreciate as much in defensemen, and I think we should, and it's why I think Aaron Eckblad is having such a great year. And I know the Norris shouldn't be a lifetime achievement award, but in some cases is. And if you are going to treat the Norris as a lifetime achievement award, and it might be somebody's time to win it, it might be time for Aaron Eckblad to win it, because when I look at the improvement from him, you know, even in the last couple of years, let alone over his entire career, he is such a better player than he was. And when he came to the league, he had all this potential. And so I, I know you see that too, right? You played defense, not in anywhere yeah. near as high a level. But well, like, almost. I mean, you, amateur U18 is like right up there with the NHL. So and Of course it is. Absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, like, but as a former defenseman who played at least some level of hockey, you can appreciate how he has gotten better at things that are very hard to get better at at an age where it's hard to improve in some of those ways, particularly after you broke your leg. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the reasons why I'm so confident in saying, let's try these different p- pairings. Let's see what we can unlock of some of these uh, defenders, and, and let's continue to keep pushing the envelope because you are led, that decor is led by Aaron Ackblad, and you do have that security there. Um, and it's one of the reasons I keep saying that, you know, pushing the team, the team's going to constantly keep leveling up, and it's going to keep happening at a faster and faster pace because – you know, for a lot of years, we've been wondering, like, is this core of Barkov, Huberto, Ekblad, like, are are those three skilled enough to be the best players at their position on this team and have a chance of winning a cup? The answer is yes. Yeah. And uh, we we're starting no to find that, that out. And now we're blowing past, like, knowing that to, like, they're just continually getting better. And, it, and basically, it's like, we have to hurry up and... You know, not we. I mean, but the Florida what you're has you to. You want the team to match that growth potential by saying, "Hey, we have a chance to do all of this now. Let's not waste it." Yeah, you know? and I think I think they are. I mean, uh, you know, I think they're doing pretty much everything they need to be doing. You know, I'm sure that Zito is looking for you know what that move at the trade deadline is going to be. There's no way they do nothing. There is just no way. Um, it, they're going to either hit up Dallas for one of their goalies. I mean, Bishop's back, so it's going to be Bishop, Ottinger, Holpe's looking good, and they have Kudobin. Like, they can't keep all four of those for sure, uh, and it's going to be hard for them to keep even three of those up in the NHL. So that, like, does do they send Ottinger, who might be their best goalie, down, or their second, you know, depending how Bishop... So there's a lot of moving parts, but, you know, Kudobin... Hopey, 
you know, Bishop, those are not guys I would I wouldn't shrug off um, for this playoff run because this is the last year of you of Barkov at five nine, second last year of Huberto at five nine. Um, you know, everything. This is the year where everything's going right. The, the you're, you know, you face adversity. You're getting through it. You're having these comebacks now. You know, if they can sh- start showing up and and running teams out of the building, start to finish for sixty minutes, you're pretty much just waiting for the playoffs to start. You know, well, at that point. I, I mean, and, and I when I talk about them vis-a-vis the other best teams in the league, we don't know what full fully fledged Vegas looks like yet, and that's fair. I'm not worried about them. I'm be yeah. honest with you, I I think Vegas. I, I I mean, Vegas and Colorado this year. Um, Colorado is I oh, worry more about. Cold timing. Well, yeah, we'll see. I, I think it's. I think they, it's they, more. No, what would be scary is if they are the ones that trade for somebody from Dallas. That would be the scary thing because yeah. they just need saves. Because you watch them last night, um, watching the Flyers, and you're like, how are some of these goals going in? Like that's like, they, and they have fifty plus shots. Well, like, their they're, fourth they're, string goal. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, like if they they should be the ones considering doing that, and I think they probably will, and that will be terrifying. But here's the thing about like. With all these other good teams, Tampa is Tampa. I mean, they're doing exactly what we all knew they were going to do. They were going to win, even though they don't have Kucherov in point, because they're the Lightning. I kept telling people that, and you should nobody should doubt them. You know, Toronto is playing pretty well, although now they are starting to deal with some injury adversity, and let's see how they deal with that, because they some were suspension adversity and suspension adversity Jason too for Spezza. dirty player I Jason really Spezza. I really like you, but that was terrible, man. Yeah, that 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 one good. That game was a, a Neil show. Neil Pionk also. Pretty, yeah, pretty no, no, terrible. No, no. You're, you're also, absolutely... Connor McDavid getting away with the suspension. Oh, Shocker. yeah, he got boarded though. Oh. He did, 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 a, did, a, did a bad thing with the boarding. Did, did, yeah, that one good. But I mean, oh. I'm talking about this in the sense of like the Panthers have faced quite a bit of adversity already in terms of injuries, in terms of what happened with the coaching search, and they came through it pretty well. And while we have qualms about how they are playing, and I do, I don't think their road games have been good this year, and they need to improve upon that as soon as they can. Uh, it gets masked by the fact that, oh, yeah, they're 14-1 and one at home, which is insanity. They've won 25 of 27 home games. It's ridiculous what they're able to do in Sunrise. Again, I think it's the P.F. Changs at Sawgrass Mills. It has to be that. You know, everything's most, you know, everything's right when you go to Sawgrass. We all know this. I just, yeah, but, but I it, mean, they have a real opportunity, and, uh, yeah, they, you know, they could get a goalie. There's obviously that hole on defense. Maybe they add Claude Giroux, you know. I mean, honestly, like, whatever they, they're probably looking at it all, and they should be looking at it all, because, I mean, again, I'm looking around. They have one of the best centers, one of the best D, one of the best wingers, one of the best support casts, one of the best offensive depths. They're starting to build that defensive depth where they can just wave guys um, and lose, lose them. And them. Go, oh, that sucks. Yeah, oh, well. And not really care, yeah. And well, well, I mean, I, I will, I'm going to make this argument here as we start to wrap this up. And I think I'm going to say this rather definitively. I think the Panthers are the deepest team forward-wise in the league. Maybe not defensively, but I think it's clear to me that they have the deepest forward group in the league. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure other people will argue, and I'll I'd I'd come to the conclusion that I mean, this team that makes Ryan Lomberg look good. And and I'm not trying to be mean to Ryan Lomberg. We have been, and that's not fair. No, we've been we've good. been a lot nicer to Ryan Lomberg. Yes, we have. And, and but like again, should, so. where where. 
where what other team is coming to a game without its two of its two of its best top line players with Barkov and Duclair, and they're running out these groups that are not bad, and they're still scoring seven goals on people. They're putting up fifty shots. They are making guys like not just Max Mamma, but A2 Losterainen has seven goals. I mean, you're watching a player like Anton Liddell, who's a 20-year-old rookie. He comes into this team and looks like he's been in the league for five years. Like, the depth on this team is insane. And I'm not saying Colorado doesn't have depth, because they do. And I'm not saying Tampa doesn't have depth, because they do. And I'm not saying Toronto doesn't have depth, because they do. But if you're giving me the depth that Florida has, I would take it at forward over everybody else. And that's not me being biased. I just look at how they're able to perform and what they're able to do from not just a systemic standpoint, from how these players are all able to step up in moments when they are called upon, even guys who you would never expect to step up. And they do it. And that does not happen. And in the playoffs, you're going to need it. And that's why I'm saying, like, I don't fear an injury at this point. Even if they'd suck, I'd go, okay, they're going to find a way to get around that because that's just who they are. That's the depth they have. That's the willingness they have to take risks and be what they can be, right? That's the, like, I don't, I've never said that about a Panthers team before. And I would make that argument. And it would be an interesting argument to have with a bunch of people, but it's an argument I would make. And I, 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 I mean, I, yeah, I agree. It's just, you know, do they get lucky that they're able to make the right move? Does it, does that work out? I mean, we'll see. Hampus Lindholm would be nice. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of names I can bandy about and daydream about. We're still a little, a little too far, far away from away doing from that. that. But I mean, that's what, that's really all there is to talk about with Florida is, you know, Hey, let's mix up some of these D pairs. Let's see if we can, uh, Let's see what Yo Levy can do. Let's, you know, let's keep let's keep shaking things up. Um, keep giving, you know, all those forwards some time. Um, you know, I haven't seen Hepo Niemi yet, but I'm not too worried about it at this point, which is a good sign. But I would like to see him at some point I, too. I, I think I, I give one shout out to uh, what's been going on in Charlotte. Like I, I don't know what their record. I should check what their record is, and I apologize for not doing this beforehand. But like. I, every time I look at the Checkers Twitter account, I'm like, did Cole Schwint just score again? That doesn't make any sense. You're like, what? Yeah, I keep seeing Logan Husko scoring and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the one thing I don't notice is I haven't seen much with Dennis Anko and everything. That, that's always fun. Yeah. Um, I, I, I look at, like, the records. Let's see how these Charlotte Checkers are. Yeah, like, the record's fine. It's yeah, Schwint is, I mean,. There's Alexander True, who's the Vegas Knights uh, prospect. He's got 17 points in 21 games. And then Schwinn's in second with 13, Husko 12. Uh, and then Hepo Niemi has 11, but two less games. Denisenko has 11, but he's played all 21. Yeah. It, it's one of those weird situations because you've got half of a prospect pool from one team and half from another. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's but all I know is, you know, Florida, Florida has the bodies to make a move. Florida has the bodies to go for a run. They, they're playing the right way, um, and I guess, I I guess the first thing they have to decide, and it's probably going to come before uh, any moves, is 
if they're keep if is going to be brunette in the behind the bench or not i, I assume it's going to be i can't see any reason why they wouldn't because yeah. when, when you look at when and this is the point we'll end on and i want to say andrew brunette has had some struggles as coach i think sometimes you know we don't know how they delegate the specialty teams particularly i don't know who coaches the power play at this point i think it might brunette be brunette still i don't think that the power play is good enough yet they have tried some things that have sort of worked, but then they got away from it and they need to fix those things, obviously. But I think some of that comes down to Brunette still trying to manage what he is as a head coach via what he was as an assistant. And that's, you know, because all this happens so fast. I think that that's, you know, it's something he needs to work out. But by the playoffs, as long as it's done by the playoffs, the best coach that they could have hired from a perspective of, getting respect in that dressing room from a systemic standpoint is now in Vancouver. So there's nobody really else that you well, could hire that would keep them playing the same way that they play this very high tempo, aggressive forechecking, uh, this there's speed a, predicated game. And Brunette seems to have the trust of the guys in the dressing room. And I think he has their respect. And I think that he's earned the respect of, I think he's earned the respect of the front office because as well, like Bill Zito said, it's a process and that's fair enough but I don't see any reason why you'd change it. Like, it's not necessarily about the results at this point because they're good enough, but I haven't seen a noticeable drop-off in their five-on-five game, which was the biggest thing I was worried about, which was, can they keep playing the five-on-five style that they play? And this team, minus Barkoff and Duclair and Forsling, is putting 51 shots up on a playoff team. But that's, that's not, I mean, that's not the, that's not the measuring stick. It's An not, extra five games, saying... we just did it, you know, that... And and again, I, this is why I don't I don't don't get lulled into a sense a, a false sense of security. I mean, I'm happy that they're playing so well. And again, I'll say that there's not much to work on and everything, but they haven't proven much either. I mean, they they've come back and stuff, but you know, there's a lot of luck involved there too. I don't. I don't want to anoint them now. That's why I think that they shouldn't rest on their laurels. They should be looking for a closure. They should be looking for a Hampus Lindholm. They should be trying to get another big-time goalie, like, you know, big-time in the sense of it's not a Gibson, it's not some, you know, Chris Dreger or Hamburglar or whatever type goalie. It's, you know, it's a Holpe, it's a Kadobin, it's somebody with experience, it's somebody who can actually, has won a series before. Um, You know, they should be going for it because um, there's no reason there's no reason there's no reason not, not, to. not to but i think this team is set up really well for the future i think what a lot of yeah. the things in the early going of the regular season have shown me that this team's going to be good for a while they have developed Maybe. depth if on they their own. if they well i mean like it's there's still a lot of road left i mean yeah. we could we could see we could see Zito completely botch the trade deadline, put the team in the wrong direction. You know, they could, you know, there's so many things that can go. Like, it, it looks like everything's fixed. The problem is what happens when they don't meet expectations and they don't continue to play this way, you know, past this, you know, if they don't do well in the playoffs, if they you know, don't finish the season well, you know, those types of things. You know, I don't, it, it is, it's exceedingly hard to win because it's hard to continually to be good. It's hard to be good constant, 
constantly. So I don't want to just also assume that everything. The signs are, no, you're, you're right. The signs, I will say, are positive in that regard. And that's why in every single aspect, when you can take a chance to win this year, you got to do it because you don't, you, it's the Florida Panthers. You, you legitimately don't know whether you're going to have how many of these cracks at it again. But I say for my own version of what optimism is, you know, and for what I think this team can be, there's a ton of reasons to think something really, really cool is happening here. And again, when we just get, sit down and watch a game, you're, you're going to be entertained, as we are. You're going to watch a team of players playing at, in large senses, the absolute peak of their abilities. And that's pretty cool to see. And you're watching a team that's confident, enjoys what they're doing, and is one that knows, has that innate sense that if we need to turn it on and we got to go at you at, a, at another level, we can do that. And it doesn't matter who we're playing or who we have. We can do that. And that's a pretty cool thing to have watched them develop in a short amount of time. But they have a long way to go. And, yes, the playoffs are the measuring stick. Doing well in the regular season yeah. is, is, is great, and the Panthers haven't done that very often in their history. Yeah, but you're and right in that like, we don't have to. Cool, but it's not what I'm thinking about in the yeah, long term. Like we don't have to worry about game to game, and we don't have to worry about you know what lines they're going to start the game with, and all you know for the most part. And you know, they're oh no, you know they took Thornton out of the lineup, or oh no, you know Lomberg's coming out. You know, like it doesn't really matter. That kind of stuff, I agree with. That's kind of set. We don't have to really worry about that. But, you know, and I'm not saying I worry really about the Panthers at all, but, you know, if they – I want to see them really grab the reins of this opportunity because I'm looking around and, you know, Colorado has good depth, but they have worse depth than they did last year. Vegas, good depth. I would also say, you know, unless Eichel's healthy uh, come playoffs and, you know, playing well, which – we just don't know. That's a complete wild card. They have less depth. I'm not worried that much about Edmonton. You know, if I had to face Edmonton in a series, I'm not worried. You know, all that West stuff, I'm not worried. Tampa, I I think we saw enough that Florida is confident that they can play with Tampa and beat Tampa. And if they have that theory and mentality, I think they can do that with Toronto as well and beat Toronto. And it just comes down to, will they get stumped by the Cinderella of the East or by Boston, who constantly foils them? Will um, they get goaled by Igor Shesterkin? Yeah. You know, if they end up if they end up playing a team from the West, like say St. Louis, um, you know, would they be able to handle that? Uh, could they beat them? You know, be, I, tonight is a huge game for me. It's it's. I mean, they could play really well, and I'll be happy. But it's different to take two in a row against St. Louis because that, that's what they're going to need to do in the playoffs. You need to be able to beat a team two in a row, whether it's luck, whether whatever. You need to beat a playoff team two in a row, um, home and home, you know, type setting. To you know, that's going to be something that gets you through rounds and gets you to a cup. So, you know, they're going to need. And St. Louis is a great counterweight sort of team. Yeah, they play um, and completely I, they're opposite come to out how Florida hard. does. Yeah, they had and, a little and bit also, of a break. And also, I think for me, what's really important is I want to see how they play on the road because they have not played well on the road this season for whatever reason, and it's masked because they've been so dominant at home. 
but their road record is very bleh, and I'd like to see them go on the road and play their style against another team in their barn. And that is going to be a very interesting test because they haven't played their hardest road games yet. I mean, they played their two in Tampa, but they still have a bunch of difficult road games to come. And I want to see how they do in those environments. And they need to prove to, in, in, in a little way, that they can do that. I mean, it's, as I said, it's great to be 14-1 and one at home, but playoff teams are going to beat you on your sheet of ice. you got to go beat them on theirs. And the Panthers have to still take that step and prove that because I don't think their road games are quite as good as their home games yet. And that's never going to be easy, but that's, that's an area, a step yeah. I want to take. Is there anything this, else you want to is... mention before we get out of here? Um, I'll say that I've had a ton of fun watching um, a lot of hockey this year. I've had probably the most amount of times this year where I was just like, I'm just not going to watch hockey outside the Panthers anymore. It's just not worth it. And it's because of the goddamn blackout rules. And I will keep going on about this. This is untenable. This is stupid. This is just like robocalls about car warranty. I don't understand why we all can't get enraged and behind fixing whatever system allows this to happen. I can't believe that I can't, I physically can't pay to watch an NHL network hockey game. It absolutely kills me that I can't watch good hockey games. Again, very myopic problem, very first world problem, very small thing, but it is jarring to me that in one of the most fun seasons i mean calgary has been outstanding uh dallas's win streak where sagan's not doing really anything but their goaltending is and you know everybody else i mean there's a lot of great stories in the nhl and when i have to miss one because of some fucking stupid inane oh that's just the way it is reason um, I mean, it, it I, I don't know why it drives my head in the wall, but it really does. And that's, by the way, as and a, that's as my a, moment you're, of you're gonna, Yeah, you're fine. Uh, you're fine. <laughs> and that's fair enough. By the way, I, I know you, it's going to sound stupid because we're recording this before the game starts, but the blues are literally playing with 10 forwards tonight and seven defensemen because of the COVID protocols and cap and injury issues. And, uh, yeah, Florida beat the crap out of them, please. Yeah. This is a chance. I mean, well, you're like, let Barbershev score a goal because I picked him up on fantasy. Okay, so, like, let him enough. get, let him get some, you know, a point, some hits, some blocks. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, good night and good hockey.